This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. My name is Craig Cairns and I'm joined today remotely, obviously, because we're all still social distancing. I've got Graham Thewlis, who has been keeping himself busy recently by dressing teddies and nappies, haven't you, Graham? I have, Craig, yes. Um, we will... Uh very fortunate this weekend to be taking through a, an NCT class teaching us how to be parents. So we've wrapped up, a, we've used our baby box to wrap up a cuddly toy in a, in a sling to carry it, and we've put a, a nappy on a dog, uh, not a, a soft, a soft toy dog, not an actual dog. Um, so I think we're ready now to be parents. That's a bit. That's a bit Janie Godley of you, is it not? Uh, I've not put it in a pram yet, so I think we're okay. Um, I'm just. Uh, it feels kind of foolish to take it off. Uh, we put it on and we, we felt good about putting it on so I think we'll just keep it there now and so long as we don't have to put it on with uh, a child with a tail then I think we're, we're okay I think that'll make it easier anyway And we're also joined by uh, Craig Anderson who's been keeping his hands full today uh, and in and, and, uh, recent days with his bucket and spade How's that been working out for you Craig? It's the first time in my life I've actually wanted to do gardening There's not been any football on that I would much rather be sitting uh, sitting on the couch Watching, so yeah, I was uh, I was digging up a new fl- kind of flower bed at the front, and it was uh, it was it was tough work, but I was uh, it was better than nothing. And actually, it was quite nice. All the neighbours were going by, um, at keeping at a distance, and kind of having a wee chat as well. So it was quite a quite a community activity. We were uh, we we were invited round to yours one time during the was it during the last Euros, I think it was. Uh, was it was the World Cup. It would have been. Uh, and it was a beautiful summer's day. You've got actually quite a sizable back garden, don't you? Have you got have you got any grand plans for that while we're all kind of locked down? Because it's going to be a it's going to be a beautiful summer by the looks of things. 
Well, well, we uh, we kind of did it up because I think you came around just after we moved in, but we we did it up kind of not even last summer, like just immediately after that. To be honest, the the kind of um, so it's actually it looks quite nice, but um, yeah, we'll be planning to sit out in it as much as we can. Um, I don't think we've got any work to do, um, just wee bits and pieces. But yeah, we'll be sitting out at least getting the sun when we can. Um, it only gets the sun about half the day, but it's better than none at all if it if it is sunny. And how how's the lockdown been treating you? Um, so far fine yeah I mean I don't leave the house very much anyway as it is so it's uh, it's just it's just uh when you do want to go out that rare occasion having to um, keep your distance from folks so um usually it's the other way around and they're trying to keep away from me but um it's it's been okay I'd, I'd rather not be doing it um but it's, it's quite nerve-wracking even just going to the shops hey, I, was, I was nervous to go to Asda yesterday horrifying I I I'm, I go to the shops quite a lot. Like I'm probably in a supermarket or a shop every other day usually, um, and I've been having to kind of ration that. And then yeah, I'm always terrified of like bumping into people or, uh, and it's worse because you you get the anxiety if you've if you've missed something. It's like much harder to go back and get than it normally would be. I like wandering. And what about yourself, Graham? Have you been any more productive with the extra free time that you've had? Um, I don't know. <sighs> Productive is an interesting way to look at it. It, it, is, it is quite pleasant being out and about as everything, everyone seems really friendly all of a sudden. Like, you, you, anytime you've been out in, in the previous sort of two or three months, you wander about and you just get on with your day. Now, every time you see somebody, you say hello, you say hi, and you chat away with people from, or you, you have the sort of friendliness from a couple of metres away from everybody, which, given that we've been here for about a year now and we don't really know anyone more than a couple of our neighbours, then I suppose that's quite pleasant as well. But, yeah, it's, it's nice as well in that respect. But, yeah, I've been doing a lot of cycling um, and going for a lot of walks as well. So that's just kind of the limit of it, really. When you say a lot, you do mean one per day, just to yeah, be clear. Yeah. One, one, one a day still, it still counts as a lot, relatively, as opposed to the about two walks I've taken in the last year of living here. Yeah, so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to talk about how the lockdowns affected football. Um, we'll start with that. We'll get on to an old favourite after that and then move on to the next in our list of most memorable Scotland matches. Um, as always, I've no idea where we are on that list. I'm sure Craig will update us on that later. Um, I can't actually remember the number. I know what the, we know what the game is. We know what the game is. Forty something, forty-two maybe, or forty-one. We we really need to improve on that part of our game, I think. Uh, But yeah, like I said, first we're going to speak about how the lockdowns kind of impacted football. There's there's been a few kind of developments since we last addressed this on the podcast Uh, in the last week or so. um, The Belgian FA have given the title to Club Bruges. Um, UEFA's president's come out and said that anybody else who follows suit could find their clubs banned um, next season uh, and then I don't know if anybody saw that today but David Winnie, a former Scottish football player um, is now a, a lawyer, he said that he thinks that UEFA will just be opening themselves up to all sorts of legal challenges if they if they go down that route but he also did say that their, their language wasn't final it was, it was kind of open for them to kind of be able to move on it I've I've been quite annoyed by the way that it's been reported what UEFA have been doing because I think uh, I think it's been kind of sensationalised a lot. But if you actually read the statements that they come out with, everything's always kind of couched in 
might be and will be and could be and you know because it was like when they when they set the the supposed deadline of like the end of June for finishing the season and folks do that as a deadline even though everybody that that kind of was well connected was saying well this is just a kind of placeholder for now and we'll move on so it kind of I feel like I feel like obviously especially in Scotland because that's kind of our um, standard position for the, the tabloid media that that's the way it's come out but I think. They they've said you know try your best to finish it. If if it if it's because uh, they specifically said if the circumstances don't allow it then they'll take that into account. It's not like they're saying you must complete your season even if it's not safe to leave the house yet. But it, it feels like it's been reported in that way and, and it's um, it's a bit disappointing I would say. Do you think that um, UEFA though seems to still whether they have their heads in the sand or not, or whether they're just afraid to actually come out and say, tell it how it is, do you think the kind of do you think they just need to come out and be clearer that there's not going to be any football in the next few months? Like everybody can kind of see that there's not going to be anything well, it, in the it next depends, few months. It depends where they are, right? Because some of the countries that are further ahead of, than us might might be back a bit quicker than we are as well. So I think they've they've got kind of fifty one countries. They've got countries that are still playing. Belarus are still. In fact, 54 countries, Belarus are still kicking about. So I think they have to be a bit general. Um, yeah, I agree. It, it seems unlikely that we will be playing anytime soon, but they have cancelled a bunch of stuff. It's not like they're pretending the Euros got postponed. The women's Euros have been pushed back or are about to be pushed back another year as well. Um, a bunch of youth tournaments for the summer have already been kind of written off. So they, they are clearly taking action. I, I think, yeah, maybe communications could be better in terms of... of Exactly, because I think a lot of what, what you see from UEFA seems to be leaked via a kind of select group of journalists rather than proper press releases. But if you know who those journalists are that are actually well-connected, they, they tend to kind of paint a different picture to what you would see in kind of the Daily Record or something. I think the the, the thing to remember is, is that both through UEFA and kind of all the leagues going forward are in a very difficult position because... It, it, as soon as any great decision is made and then as soon as you make a decision you open yourself up to some sort of legal recourse from that and at the moment things are in place which are far greater than football essentially um, so at some point or another it will become truly apparent that football cannot continue uh, in the immediate future but that moment is still a while away and it still rel- it still depends on each individual individual government making a decision or doing one thing or another and that, that that's true of Scottish football that's true of English football that's true of European football as a whole so trying to organise all of those things in one go is a difficult thing to do I think it's like it's still not even a month it's like four weeks ago we were still playing it's kind of so to say, oh, four weeks ago we weren't playing, but but now we're magically going to predict into the future for four months. I I think anyone who claims to know what is going to happen in the next one month, let alone four, is is kidding themselves on. Um, just in general, because it, you can you can model all you want, but this is a different disease to what's been there before. You don't know. Maybe it's you know suddenly just going to disappear. I, I don't. It doesn't seem likely, but you know these things happen. All right, Trump. Um, yeah, well, exactly. Um, they've got to at least give it a chance and wait and see. We're still, we're still at the point that if football started t- tomorrow, which is obviously not going to, the season would be finished as normal in the normal timescale. We've we've not even lost the, we've not even got to the point where we would even need to rearrange things properly yet. So I think there's still 
a lot of time that can be allowed to pass before they have to make definitive that, that's my view on it I don't think you have to rush into it because you look like a bunch of dafties in one or two scenarios you look like a bunch of dafties if you called everything off and then you know a week later everyone's a, uh, it's, it's actually okay or if you call everything off now start to schedule next season and then get to like August and you're like well you can't play next season either and then everything starts getting you know you've you've put a fixture list you can't use and stuff like give yourself the time to make a decision properly and don't rush something stupid yeah it's, it's just becoming to me it just seems that we have to now make the decision about whether we're going to uh, finish this season or play next season uh, I mean at the very most I think you could finish this season and play in a bridge season next season but we're getting closer and closer to the point where we're just not going to be able to start next season and it's not even about I mean I, I totally take your point about um, everybody being at different stages but I think that that adds to it because we have to give ourselves enough time for all the leagues and all the countries to get back in sync with each other because like you say who knows one of the unknowns about this thing is whether there's going to be second and or third wave of it and that kind of thing and that could happen in some countries and not in others because of the the different measures that they take within their borders and things like that so yeah there's just so many unknowns at the moment but uh one thing that seems clear to me at the moment is um we're not going to get this season finished and a full season played next season i think think absolutely not yeah that that's impossible at this point yeah, um, there was another thing that happened recently. Uh, UEFA lifted the the broadcast ban uh, for three o'clock on a Saturday, which I was quite cynical about that when I saw it the other day. I'll be I'll be honest. Um, that that to me just seems like a move that's not I, really going to do anything. That that would require. I, I think. think sorry, on you go. I was going to say it's it's, uh, it's not so much UEFA because it's the individual. Um, FAs that decide whether they want to have a broadcast ban and at what time they have it and actually we're like one of about four countries that still have one so it's probably come from the UK FAs Alright, okay, I'm just looking it up because I thought I'd read that it was them at, I, I, I don't know maybe. So UEFA, enfor- UEFA enforce it but they basically give each uh, country the chance uh-huh. to name a window that they yeah, want. Yeah, so they lifted the one in, in the UK, yeah, but it seems that that was that seems to be based on an idea that we'll be within a position in a month's time or whatever to um, play games behind closed doors. But that would obviously rely on social distancing rules being relaxed, uh, gatherings. Uh, I think you're not allowed to gathering more than two at the moment. That would have to be relaxed and that kind of thing, obviously. So the thinking is that you then play games behind closed doors and um, finish the season that way and you're able to broadcast it. Another thing, I guess, is if, it might be helping the broadcasters if there's any football anywhere in the world it does allow Sky Sports to broadcast that at 3 o'clock so if Germany starts back up at least they can show some football for us as well which I guess would otherwise technically be banned even though there's no Scottish games on so because Germany seem to be the ones they seem to be having a weird approach they seem to be the ones that still they, they were about the last ones to call it off of any of the kind of major leagues and they, they seem to still be thinking that they're going to be back sooner than everyone else for some reason but um, yeah it, it's weird to me but they might as well do it because if there is going to be any football and I'll certainly be watching it I, 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 I do draw the line at watching Bel- Belarus on YouTube so you've seen your market share of every single viewer in, in Europe at this point 
Um, as I say, I have I have drawn the line. I've not been watching any Belarus league on YouTube because that that's a step too far. But um, anything semi decent, I'll probably watch it. Anything else to add on this before we before we move on to our, our regular nonsense? It's just yeah. shit. It's it's just shit. shit. It's very shit. But the most the most important thing is to in the meantime don't get yourself worked up by it because there's still a long way to go in every aspect whether it's a European aspect whether it's a local aspect whatever it is don't waste your time on it because you're just going to wind yourself up about something that's not happening. And I know it's kind of it's, it's we overdone by this point as well, but there, there's just there's just so much more to worry about at the moment as well. There's so many other things to be getting worked up about than that. Uh, so let's move on to yeah, like I say a wee bit of nonsense. And a, re- a return of Do Me A Solid. We've got a couple of lockdown-themed Do Me A Solids. Uh, I'm going to start with um, this one. Your granny, your elderly granny, she's stuck in the house and she's not got any food, right? Who from the world Scottish football are you going to get to go do her shopping? Craig, you kick us off. Yeah, I've gone for uh, Oswald Edward because uh, he always delivers. Damn. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, c- I can imagine him. He'd be quite smooth as well. You know, he would kind of find. He would always find space in the um, in the shop to you know get himself in and out of the aisles. He would weave. Be good at keeping his distance. Casually keep his distance. Weave casually past, and he would drive quite calmly to your grand's house. Set the bags in the doorstep, chap the door, and leave. Fair enough. Uh, I, I've got a. Uh... Falkirk Football Clubs on loan from Ross County, uh, Declan McManus, uh, just to see if I can get a smile at him, just at one point or another, like all season long, he's been banging goals in, he has looked truly miserable at every point, he was awarded a Player of the Month award, still looked miserable, so wondered whether if we could get him out to do some shopping, deliver it to, uh, deliver it to an old person's home, who'll obviously be overwhelmed with the emotion of Declan McManus turning up and providing shopping. And then see whether the the joy from that and the joy for doing something for your your, your fellow human being might actually dra- drag a smile at the boy's face. Do you think it would? Talk do you think Falkirk? Sorry. Do you think it would work? Do you I think this would work? No, I still think it'd be miserable. If you can be awarded Player of the Month and still look like somebody's stolen your lunch money, you're probably not going to be happy. And if this it. if this um, doesn't work, is that it for him? We just can't get a smile out of him for anything. No, he's just, he's just that's just what his face is. Uh, maybe that's what a smile is for him. Not everyone has a different smile. Some people's are big, toothy grins. His uh, appeals are just half a skill. If we talk about Falkirk and shopping, did everyone see that they were very kindly doing a good community deed of delivering shopping to people, as we've just discussed? And they took a picture of themselves before they doing it, all huddled together in a big room. And I'm like, it was a bit, it was a bit three weeks ago, but it was just I, I kind of they deleted it after someone pointed this out to them as well. Um, but fair play to them for trying. <laughs> Excellent. Who have you got, Craig? Um, well, I was going to go for Lee Griffiths, but I think that's unfair because he wasn't actually charged with anything to do with shoplifting in the end. So I've gone for I've gone for Alan Campbell now. Craig Fowler once asked the question whether uh, Alan Campbell would tackle his granny for the last hobnob and somebody filmed uh, themselves asking Alan Campbell this uh, and he said yes. Now, even though he would tackle his own granny for a biscuit, I still think he's like a consummate professional. I just, I think he seems like the kind of guy that would 
he would pick her up afterwards, he would he would dust her down, he would tell her, he would explain to her it was only a game, and that he was off to the shops to get some more hobnobs anyway and asked her if she wanted anything else. So I think I think he'd be the perfect guy for it. And as well as that, in these times where you need to scrap for what you need in the supermarket, Alan Campbell's your man there as well. Yeah, he maybe wouldn't be the best at the social distancing, mind you, but he would yeah, he would definitely be getting in about it and getting what he needs from the from the shops, I'd say. Excellent. Should we move on to the next one? Yeah. Okay, you need someone from Scottish football to enforce social distancing rules. Who do you call? We'll start with you this time, Graham. Rob Kiernan. Uh, Rob Kiernan was absolutely diamond at making sure that people had hundreds of fucking space at all times. So yeah, Ron, Rob Kiernan is my uh, is my man to exercise social distancing etiquette, whether it's in person or whether you need to create a, a video montage highlighting this is how you stay away from people. Craig, who did you go for? I went for the kind of the converse of that. I went for Gary Dickard because he always seems to find the space. So he always seems to, you know, you always look up and it's like, why is there nobody anywhere near Gary Dicker? He's always standing on his own with just nothing round about him. And plus, if he wanted to enforce something, um, he can definitely enforce things quite quite well, as some um, Hearts players have found out recently. Well, or not, not recently, over a year ago, when he got absolutely nailed one. I have gone for... Um, it's also space themed. Um, can I can I have one from yesteryear though? He's not he's not involved in oh, Scottish football well, Rob, anymore. Rob Kiernan isn't he either. So oh, there you go. Yeah, we're good. We're all good then. So I've gone for uh, Jose Goncalves. Now I have never seen a man be so far away from a ball but still be in possession of that ball. Right. <laughs> so I reckon that if he can do that with a football, surely he can do something similar with people. It's purely based on that. Purely based. Right, last one. Uh, Calderwood. Calderwood is gone. No one. This is from Tom Watt, by the way. Calderwood is gone. No one wants another McGee. Which Scottish football personality do you get to front the public health campaign? I'll go for Kenny Duker. He, he, he has a doctor. Literally a doctor. <laughs> uh, he, he, would, he would be able to deliver the, the required expertise. He would um, presumably he's already done his travelling he's been to Salt Lake City weirdly and played in MLS he's been around quite a lot of clubs in Scotland so he's not needing to you're not going to catch him driving off to Fife um, I think he had a particularly unsuccessful spell at East Fife anyway so um, I doubt he's going to want to go back there so you're quite safe with him just staying where he is and he has the expertise he certainly does um, Dr Goals uh, who have you gone for Graham? I have gone for Lee Griffiths um, on the basis that it's a kind of twofold and regardless of whatever Lee Griffiths does everyone always forgets it doesn't really matter he's, he's well people hold grudges about oh he's done this and he's done that and whatever else as soon as it gets to the you've seen in the last year it gets to the the playoff time and Griffiths bangs in a couple of goals and immediately everything is forgotten it's a case of regardless of anything else which has gone on in the past Lee Griffiths is the guy that we need to lead the line for Scotland in addition as well he's never off of either the front page or the back page which again is not necessarily his fault at all, all times there was a story the other day about um, the sun ran a, a splash saying uh, Lee Griffiths says that him and his pal are going to tan a keg after he's finished after the, the quarantine's finished so again if you want someone that's continually in the news for nothing to do with their job but is always raising awareness of themselves and what's going on Lee Griffiths is your man and if you ever got caught out, as you say, you could just put up uh, on the screen the free kicks against England and all would be forgotten. So, yeah, easy. 
Yeah, yeah, that would improve the nation's health just watching them over and over. So I, I, I've gone with Willow Flood. See if I wasn't, if I was allowed someone out with Scottish football, I'd go with Prince Philip. I just think if you if you pick the most horrific looking person, it will just scare the fuck out of everybody and uh, being healthy. Like, can you imagine if if Prince Philip gets coronavirus, he's done. He he's definitely done. So I reckon. You just get the most horrific looking individual and, and like basically just like a scarecrow. It's just scarecrow everybody into, into staying healthy, basically. At the same time, if you were to get him to deliver a public health message, you'd really have to update the simulation pretending that he's still kicking it. So it'd be a difficult situation. You're asking, you're, you're asking a lot of people put in a lot of work, which is presumably collaborative work. It's not just one person operating that puppet, that puppet. So there's got to be a lot of people involved there. You need a very careful scriptwriter to avoid any references to any ethnic groups or, or otherwise as well. Why change a habit? <laughs> right, so we've had our fun. We're now going to move on to... We're going to get brought down a couple of pegs. We're going to move on to the next on our list of most memorable Scotland matches uh, voted for by you Terrace listeners. And this one is from the 11th of June, 1990, from the Stadio Luigi Ferraris in Genoa. It was the World Cup in Italy, Group C, uh, and it was Scotland making an appearance against a side making their first ever appearance at the World Cup. And it finished Scotland 0, Costa Rica 1. A very, very Scottish result, we have to say. Um, although... Costa Rica have gone on to be quite quite the formidable World Cup side since, haven't they? So, w- was it really that embarrassing in the end? It, it was. It, it was at the time because n- nobody knew anything about Costa Rica. Literally, one yeah. of the most embarrassing results in our history. <laughs> it, it's hard to it's hard to tell because they did go on and beat Sweden in the same group stages. They got through. Um, so they obviously weren't. It's not like they were some no hopers that turned up. They were the champions of. Um, they were the champions of uh, North America at the time. Although in the first qualifying game, the, the Concacaf Gold Cup thing, which doubled as the um, qualifiers for the the World Cup, they were meant to play Mexico. Play Mexico. Um, who are obviously kind of were and probably still are the strongest team in North America. But Mexico were banned from the 1990 World Cup because they fielded overage players in a youth tournament. Um, so they got a wee bit lucky. So it's hard to tell, essentially, whether they were good or not. They were they were presumably better than we thought, just like a lot of teams. Yeah, if you watch the highlights, even the commentator at the end um, says... Um, they've been beaten against a team that everybody thought were going to be the whipping boys of the group. But how much of that? How much of that is just because nobody knew anything about them and just assumed, oh, it's their first ever appearance, so they must be rubbish, or or whether, yeah, like you say, or whether they were a terrible side and it was a, a huge upset because they they made it through the group, yes, but uh, Sweden didn't do very well at the tournament and uh, Costa Rica were they were roundly pumped by Czechoslovakia. Uh, in the in the next round in the knockouts, I looked at, I looked at that. Uh, Thomas Guravi from Czechoslovakia scored three headers in that game, and that was a wee pattern you actually saw in the, the Scotland game from watching the highlights. They, they did not look very good defending things in the air, um, we... and I don't know if that influenced our our selection for the game. Possibly, I mean, I was just about to ask that. Should I go through the lineup actually? Because we we went with the back five, obviously. Uh, Andy Roxburgh was the manager, but not only a back five, but. F- 
by my reckoning, it's, it's six, sorry, five centre halves. Um, there was Richard Goff, Alex McLeish, Roy Aitken, Dave McPherson, and Morris Malpass. Now, okay, Dave McPherson spent some of his career at right back, and Morris Malpass likely played uh, the other the other fullback position in that. But yeah, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much five centre halves. Jim Layton was behind them in goals. You had a midfield three of Paul McStay, Jim Bett, and Stuart McCall, and then up front Mo Johnston and Alan McAnally. Um, so yeah, thought, thoughts on the thoughts on the team there. I uh, actually came across an interesting bit. It was from was it Craig Brown who was saying that even from before the kickoff, things were a bit sort of clumsy. As uh, Roxborough had a habit of referring to Alan McAnally as Ali, so he said, "Oh, Ali, you're starting." To which McCoy thought he was starting, and then was very disappointed to find out that actually he was not starting. Um, quite why you would refer to someone as Ali when there already is an Ali that already exists what are you doing that's that, that's 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 no good at all that's no that's no use at all and it's Mac and Ali I think reading about it there was a bit of criticism afterwards given that it was so defensive um, and as you say Craig the, sort of defensively they look suspect with balls in at the box similarly Mac and Ali was uh, that was the end of his first season at Bayern Munich where he never really set the header alight that was probably his best season but again was not um, certainly that after that was not a, a huge part of that team um, whereas McCoyst was kind of as always scoring goals which are, this feels like a sort of ongoing theme for Ali McCoyst in among Scotland squads um, from what is 1992 then obviously 96 at the Euros and then it seems to be like an endless ongoing theme of Ali McCoy's not really quite being picked enough despite scoring stacks and stacks of goals I know uh, he spoke about it as well I think he did uh, an interview open goal at one point and they kind of asked him about this and he told I think the same story that you did about about McAnally and I think he said he was rooming with McAnally at the time and so it was like uh, a very awkward situation for him but I can only presume as I say it was maybe the, the height aspect or the kind of physical aspect which McCoy never really had um that, that maybe made him be left out but yeah looking back now knowing what what happened to McAnally from that point on and what happened to McCoy's from that point on it looks like a terrible decision but it's hard to know if, if at the time it was considered as such yeah it was, it was McAnally's only start of the tournament as well um, the the following two games he wasn't uh, he wasn't picked to start of the game and again in both of those games we were more attacking and more Threatening, so I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's dead. It's dead easy to look back in hindsight, as you say, and do that, and then look at the other games and say, "Well, that's obviously wrong." But given that I was two, I, I can't really contribute massively, massively as to whether I thought no. that was. Good. I, I was, I was even younger, but I, I just thought McCoy's the good thing about him being on the bench was that or, or not playing was it could uh, spend a bit more time exploring Genoa. Um, a historic port on the Mediterranean. It was the birthplace of Christopher Columbus. It became famous for art in the 14th century, um, and eventually the 17th century Genoese painting school attracted Rubens, Van Dyck, and other Flemish painters. Um, so that was quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's also, I also one of the things watching it as well. I was, as you said, it was the Stad Luigi Ferraris, which. Even now, that that footage looks very modern. Um, you look at a lot of stuff from Italia ninety, and you look at how a lot of the stadia at uh, Italia ninety have kind of aged. Um, particularly the one in Bari and stuff like that, and the one in Verona just look mad and look completely oversized. And they always look that big sort of mad concrete ones. Um, but the the sort of the difference 
in terms of the renovation was uh, San Siro and the, the stadium in Genoa, which look like obviously brand new in the footage, but look very much like a much more sort of 2020 stadium as opposed to a 1990 stadium. I thought it really sort of stood out in that way. And it obviously it was renovated for the tournament and the amount of time, again, it's just a completely unique thing and it feels a very sort of Italian architectural thing rather than a football stadium, but I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's, it's the first, um, <clears throat> you mentioned there you guys being two and younger. It's the first state, sorry, it's the first tournament that I remember watching. First, um, first World Cup that I remember watching anyway. I think I remember some of the Euro 88 as well. But at that point, I wasn't heavily into football. So I don't, I don't remember being that kind of interested by it or that kind of excited by it. I remember, I remember being bored as hell by the final. I remember sitting and watching the <laughs> final and I, I do remember people making a kind of, a big thing about it that uh, it was kind of like a big event I, I did kind of get that feel and then everybody was just kind of let down it was boring I think it was it finished 1-0 and it was like an 86 minute penalty for Germany that won it or something like that but yeah I don't remember this game as such I do remember us beating Sweden I can remember watching that game but for some reason I've just got maybe I didn't watch any of this game at all but I, I've got no memory of this um, obviously seeing it spoke about on TV shows um, since it was actually part of a, a Rabsi Nesbitt Episode. I don't know if uh, folk have seen that, but it was um, it was an episode where they they go to the World Cup and this is the game that they go to and it, yeah, it kind of cuts to them and the crowd swearing when when the when the the goal goes in. We should we should get to it actually because even though there was a halftime substitution, uh, sorry substitution, Richard Goff went off for Stuart McKimmy ma- maintaining that back five. Uh, McLeish it looked like still had two players to to mark in the in the build up and and. Was was undone by a by a, a back heel from Yara. I'm just trying to find the guy's name who scored the goal. Here we go. It was Juan Arnaldo Cayasso who um, who put the ball beyond uh, Leighton. The, the game's an absolute mess, and it's um, that's sort of the goal. Sorry, it's an absolute mess. I, I think the first fault stem. From I'm an absolute mess, fan. Craig. I'm an absolute mess. Everyone. What a terrible mess, performance. But, but anyway, continue. Yeah, but- <laughs> but um, it comes from Malpass, I think. Um, the boy stands him up, and Malpass is kind of quite narrow, considering he's presumably playing left wing back. He's quite narrow, and he just shows the guy inside, and the guy just kind of skips past him. Now, I always, I only remember Morris Malpass from the tail end of his career, where he was generally pretty shite, and as a manager when he was shite. So it's kind of hard for me to imagine Morris Malpass kind of potentially being one of the best defenders in Europe at one point. But um, me watching him there. It's kind of how I remember him, which has just been skint. Um, and then Stuart McKimmy tries to come in to cover. Was oh, it McKimmy? McLeish I thought it was McLeish, sorry. I think McLeish is in the middle and McKimmy right. tries to come in to help him. You can see and him kind of plea for some help as well. It's McKimmy's hands straight up in the air. Yeah. like, what the fuck do I do with this? Um, and, and yeah, the, the boy, it's a nice finish, to be fair. Uh, Leighton gets down reasonably well, I think. He, he can't be blamed. The guy's about 10 yards out smashing a shot at him. But... Yeah. It's a mess of a goal to concede. Like it, it's typically what Scotland do concede. Everyone just doesn't seem to know what they're doing. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned uh, Leighton. I, mean, I think I think you're, I agree with you there. I think he does quite well. He does pretty much all he can, and if he keeps it out, it's a wonder save. And if he doesn't, he can't really be blamed because he's so exposed. But um, at the other end, the goalkeeper he had he had a he had a very good game. Um, there was a similar chance 
where Mo Johnston was through one-on-one with him and he just smashes it. Now, it's the kind of one where you're trying to leather it to make sure when really if he just if he just passes it anywhere along the ground, then then that's in. You know what I mean? It's one of those ones that if you place, there's much more of a chance of it going in. But he, he um, yeah, he, he lashes it at the goal, and the goalkeeper just does similar to what Leighton does, I suppose, just kind of throws, spreads himself as much as he can and throws himself at it. But he gets something on it, and um, yeah, there was a couple other saves, and Scotland had their chances, but uh, one of the reasons. For the uh, the Costa Rica Costa Rica victory was definitely definitely their goalkeeper. What I really enjoyed as well, and it was the interview with Craig Brown was in the uh, just before we played Costa Rica again um, before the last World Cup, which the two guys, the guy what's the there's uh, um, Ronaldo Gonzalez Brenes who played in the game is the current manager of the Costa Rican side, and Oscar Ramirez who played in this game as well was manager when Scotland were beaten at Hamden won nothing but Costa Rica as well but it's Craig Brown in a, in a great line saying that um, the, the result still haunts the Scotland team now of the last series of call-ups that we've had there were I think two players who were alive when this game was played in Charlie Mulgrew and uh, David Marshall so on John McLaughlin as well but I'm not going to count him because he doesn't count um, I'm not entirely sure this is a result which haunts this current Scotland team given that the vast majority of them were born at least a year or two afterwards so I'm kind of I'm kind of, kind of doubtful of, of, of yeah, quite he's talking about himself and his peers yeah. basically do you yeah. guys know why we were wearing a white kit in this game no, I do remember really loving this in Sabutio though. I remember I thought this strip looked really cool in Sabutio. That was my that that was that was the memory it evoked for me when I was watching these highlights. But no, I don't know why we were wearing it. It, it comes it comes back to my point of Scotland should wear blue unless they can't wear blue. They could wear blue Costa Rican and red. No reason not to wear blue. Wear blue. They were told Scotland were told they were not allowed to wear a blue kit in the game as so many viewers across the world would be watching in on a black and white television. As such, if Costa Rica were wearing red and Scotland were wearing blue, you wouldn't have been able to define between the two because there wasn't enough of a colour difference. As such, Costa Rica played in red and Scotland played in white. Do Scotland win if they play in blue, Craig? Yes. Well, I would like to um, blame now the people at LG, Sony, Samsung... And all the other TV man, Panasonic, all the other TV manufacturers for not more quickly uh, bringing color technology around the world because um, I think it has probably cost us at least a quarter final spot at this World Cup. Um, the, the talking to Ronald Hernandez, you mentioned was still playing in the 2005 World Club Cup final against or semi-final against Liverpool. That's an insane. Who was this? Sorry. Ronald Hernandez who played centre half or midfield for Costa Rica in this game 15 years yeah. later playing in the World Club Cup final or semi-final I think as well I think what Scotland should do as well is um, make a move for Bora Milutinovic who was the manager of Costa Rica at the time who is also known as the miracle worker um, dim, dim, uh, given that uh, tag by somebody the, the, the head of the US soccer um, as he qualified, he holds he's the joint holder of the most appearances as a manager at the World Cup, and he did it in five consecutive editions with five different teams. So he, he took Mexico, um, Costa Rica, USA, 
Nigeria and China to the World Cup and took all of them bar China past the first round of the tournament as well so um, yeah let's appoint him we'll get him and Lars Lager back in and we'll win the fucking thing I mean why haven't we already why has his name not already come up we've been needing a miracle worker for a long long time I think it's because he's just been hanging out in Qatar since then um, I, I mean given that if you've gone to the World Cup five times I imagine that's kept you like I'm, I'm alright I'm, I'm quite happy to he's take still, a step still only 75 Let, let's get in there um, the other weird thing we talked about the strips is Scotland squad numbers um, did, so so for example Alec McLeish was wearing number 2 uh, Roy Aitken was wearing number 3 um, and Gary Gillespie who I don't got in the park was number 11 do, do you know the reasoning behind the squad numbers for the Scotland squad for this tournament? Can I take a guess? You can take a guess Is it by age? Not by age but somewhat close it was by the number of caps one Oh, so they be, so they basically gave gave Jim Layton number one, and then every other number was just in order of how many caps you've got. Ali McCoy um, just happened to be number nine. It happened to be number nine. Now it was it was weird. I can't. Um, Jim Bent number Levine, eight as well. Craig Levine was number fifteen. Obviously, if it had been by trophies one, he would have been four hundred. Um, but uh, the thing with it, yeah, it was weird. I don't know if this is Roxburgh doing that weird thing that coaches like him do where everything has to be done in a very weird and special way or whether there was egos in the squad that multiple players wanted the number nine and so he came up with some solution to get around it I don't know what the story was but it was it's so weird, weird because none of them look that out of place I mean you've got two of your strikers have got seven and nine you've got a central midfielder with ten you've got your defenders have got four, two, three, six a midfielder's got five. I mean, none, none, none of those have gone horribly wrong. I remember um, Hearts played Red Star Belgrade in Europe. Um, it could have been a similar time in the 90s anyway. And um, Sorry, it was later on in the 90s. Definitely later on in the 90s. And um, we did our squad numbers by alphabetical order. So we had like John Cahoon as number two or three or something like that. And he's playing up front. So And that looked weird because they were all over the place. But um, this one, it's weird how it's worked out that they're they all still look like yeah. they have numbers that apply to their mm. positions. Particularly given that you end up with stuff like Andy Gorham as number twelve, which I suppose yeah. makes sense if he was the reserve goalkeeper. So yeah, he would be number twelve. Uh, it was just a very strange, uh, strange thing. Um, just because I've got it in my notes here um, about we already mentioned Costa Rica's qualifying campaign. Costa Rica had played all eight of their qualifiers and everyone else had only played three or four games. I don't understand. So they just so matches were fulfilled? They, they, they just went ahead. They, they lost their first game and then I think they had um, four wins and three draws um, after that. So they basically qualified. But USA, Trinidad and Tobago, Guatemala and Honduras with other teams in the group and maybe, uh, yeah, and all of them had played like three or four games at this point. So they, they basically just took a big... It's like, it was like looking at the junior leagues where like everybody's got about 50 games in hand on each other. It's what that would have looked like. Well, so, so you say that they didn't fulfil their fixtures? Some of them didn't fulfil their fixtures? No, no, they did. They did fulfil them, but Costa Rica just played all of theirs first. Oh, right. So everyone else fulfilled their fixtures after Costa Rica had finished. They were finished by the middle of July and then everyone else was battering on until like October. Uh, after the game as well, yeah. after the defeat... Uh... Roxburgh said that they were up till two o'clock in the morning dissecting the result 
Um, which, like, this is not a... I thought that was an interesting way of dealing with things. And again, you can look at it on the basis that it was vaguely successful, given that we then went on and beat Sweden um, in the next game. However, the players that are involved in this squad, and Leighton, McLeish, Aitken, Goff, McStay, Malpass, Johnston, guys who are all 30-plus caps who have played across European football, across Scottish football, and down south and beyond and whatever else, I don't think there's a single one of them is unaware of what went wrong. Like they, they're well aware of the the significance of it and the importance of it. I'm not entirely sure that keeping everyone sitting in a room until two o'clock in the morning afterwards is the best use of everyone's time. Yeah, and ultimately we uh, well, it didn't work because we didn't go through. We we did a very Scotland thing at a World Cup around that time, and we lost kind of narrowly to Brazil. We lost narrowly to to one of the big guns. But yeah, this was, and again, a very Scotland thing to do is to have that one result against a minnow that seems to halt your progression. And this was this was a, another one of those, one of the more famous ones. And uh, yeah, okay, I was I was um, I was being uh, tongue in cheek at the start when I was saying that Costa Rica have gone on in recent times to be a decent um, World Cup team, but. Really, at the time, this was unknown or not. This was, I mean, this still goes down as one of the most embarrassing results in Scottish football history, isn't it? In Scottish international yeah. football history. Can, can I comment on one weird passage of play that happened in the game? Yes. I don't know why he's there, but Richard Goff, there's a long ball gets played from the right hand side. Richard Goff, it gets played over the defence. Richard Goff is bearing down on the goalkeeper, and Richard Goff turned round. And headers it backwards out towards like a like a knockdown to the edge of the box on Mo Johnson. Now it's a quite a good knockdown because Mo Johnson is kind of in the edge of the box and battles a good shot. The keeper saves, but Richard Goff is essentially through on goal, and maybe he's not going to get a good touch or that. But he, he turns around and stoops as if it's like a set piece routine to header the ball away from goal past a defender to a player who's then on the edge of the box for a defender to beat, and it. it Every time I watch old football, just weird stuff happens and I don't understand any of it. It almost like worked, the, though. It almost it, worked. It forced a good save out of the goalkeeper. It was another good save from the keeper. Um, and Goff had missed a chance just before that. I don't know, maybe he was. He really should have done better with the free header he had before that. So I don't know if that's playing on his mind or it's just one of these catch out the defence. But yeah, I don't know. Do you think Do you think he, Do you you think think he? it was a better chance than the one he had had before that, the, the free header he had had before? Mm-hmm. It's just an odd thing to do, like you say, and it does feel like proper sort of defender nosebleed territory, but then when you've got essentially five settle halves playing at the back, then if one of them's going to barrel forward, then go ahead and do it and, and take your chance. But it felt like a proper, like, like you say, he missed the chance before, and it was just a proper nosebleed thing, like, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm a centre half, what am I doing, Barely, like charging into the six yard box to get onto the end of this? I bet I'll give it to the guy that scores all the goals. Yeah, I don't know. I'm watching it back again here, and yeah, I don't know. It looks like he is. There's a defender closing in on him, but yeah, I don't know. It, it looks like he might just kind of misjudge it slightly, and it just comes behind him a little bit, and he makes that split second decision to to knock it back. But I don't know. It almost worked. Mo Johnston. Mo Johnston was another one we should maybe mention because he had the the better of the the Scotland chances. Other than that golf one, uh, he had that one that we were just talking about. He had the one right at the end that the kind of keeper tips around the post, 
And he also had that one on one where, like I said earlier, if he if he just kind of if he just places that one, then it's in the net. I think the the touch for that one that he blasts straight at the goalkeeper is really good. Like he, there's an angle from behind the goal, you see the ball floating down, and you see how nicely he takes it out there and turns and gets himself into the position, and all that is missing is the finish. But yeah, he he seemed kind of central and pivotal to the game, and it, and it felt like. A number of games that Scotland seemed to play from, from basically certainly from the highlights I've ever watched of Scotland at World Cups, of good strikers getting loads of chances but not scoring despite being good. Because I know um, there's, there's stuff I think it was Dennis Law against Zaire, seventy eight World Cup, seventy four World Cup, sorry, um, where he kept missing chances and we ultimately went out in goal difference. I think we only won two 0 I'm sure there's stuff of um, Dalglish in a previous game as well, and it ju- it seems like. You just sometimes get this footage of Scotland strikers missing loads of chances at World Cups, um, and it seems to to haunt us. It's like it's like when you watch highlights, and the highlights package features a guy getting booked. Like you know what this means? Guy's been guy's been booked. It means he's he means he's going to get put off later in the game. Scotland centre forwards missing loads of chances. We're going to go out on goal difference here. That's that's exactly what's going to happen. You can see it playing out in front of you. And we've seen it play out in front of us many, many times since. Now, have we got anything else to add to this game before we wrap it up, guys? No. No. Great. Let's just get the fuck out of here then. Um, hopefully we'll tighten up this a little bit over over the, the weeks, I think. Um, we're, we're still getting used to this sitting in different rooms and recording and, and, and talking football. You can obviously tell that the, the flow's not quite there yet, but hopefully we get we get better at this as we go on. Um, but yeah, we'll be back on Thursday. We have to, or everybody will just ditch us, and uh, and we'll have no listeners anymore. Um, but we are doing quite a lot of good work on the Patreon. So get over. The, not that this hasn't been good, guys. I don't mean I don't mean it that way. I just mean that there, there is definitely some quality stuff going up on the Patreon. We're doing lots of different things. We're trying to be as creative as we can. We're still open to ideas. But yeah, if you haven't already, get yourself over there and check out what we're doing there. There's um. Plenty, like I say, plenty of stuff going up. And there'll be more guys back on Thursday. A different group of guys will be back to do our usual bi-weekly shows. All that's left for us to do is to say bye and get out of here. Bye. 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 Sports Social Podcast Network. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 